You know you've made it when your shoes get a bigger applause than you do. Um, morning, everyone. Good morning, Christchurch. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, for you guys who don't know, I'm Owen. Um, I've been here for a couple of years now. Um, I do a bit of this and a bit of that, um, some paperwork, and I, I also help with youth. And so I'm just going to quickly, in a, about two minutes, give a little update about our youth retreat. Um, so we do lots of things throughout the week um, with our young people. We do a Tuesday life group. We do Fridays, which are sort of a bit more relaxed. And we also do residentials. So once a year in about February, we take our young people away for uh, three days to a youth retreat. Um, and we currently go to a place called Carity Woods, which is in Kent, uh, just on the other side of Tunbridge. And we have three days of just, uh, we just have a laugh, basically. Um, it's not a jolly. Um, don't worry. But um, they have a great time, hopefully. Do you have a great time? You heard it from one of them. They had a great time. Um, and uh, basically, we uh, spend time doing wide games. Uh, we do uh, yeah, run-around games. We spend time in worship. We have seminars where we basically unpack uh, sort of specific topics. We have main meetings. It's awesome. Um, and sorry if you're over the age of 18, you can't go, but I know you will want to. Um, but yeah, God's really on the move in the youth. This year, we've um, seen some amazing things with God breaking through in healing. Um, Sam's got the actual statistics, and he's not here this morning. As some of you are aware, I'm not the youth pastor. He's elsewhere, um, which is why I'm currently trying to work out what to say. Um, but he uh, will have the up-to-date statistics, but we've seen God break through in healing. Uh, we've seen necks healed, ankles healed. Um, over the year, we've seen so much more than that. We've seen, uh, I think it was four people came to faith um, over youth retreat, which is amazing. Praise God. Um, and um, yeah, we're just basically um, wanting to keep that going. Youth retreat isn't a, it's not like a, we don't raise it up and we say, you know, we get to youth retreat, we get them away from normal life and They'll come to know Jesus, and then we've got to keep them going till the next time. Um, it's part of what we do as a regular pattern and rhythm of life with these young people is that actually we want to be um, inputting, discipling, uh, seeing these guys grow because they are the church of today and tomorrow. Um, so we want to see them grow, and we want to see them um, pushing for the kingdom. So, yeah, that's basically Youth Retreat. If you want to know any more, talk to Sam or talk to the young people. Just grab a young, well, don't just grab a young person. Um, I should... Yeah, don't grab a young person. Um, but just, yeah, just talk to them and ask, you know, what was God doing at Youth Retreat? What, what are some of the stories you have? Because loads of them have highlights and amazing testimonies of what God has done. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of the Youth Retreat plug. And um, now I'm just going to basically open up God's words and carry on our series on the kingdom of God, looking specifically at spiritual warfare, um, the weapons of our warfare, what we do, um, why we talk about ourselves as being in a war sort of situation. Why is that? Um, you know, we, uh, Sai goes to a lot of places where there's literal wars where people are, you know, fighting and there's death and all those things. Um, and, you know, in Helsham, thankfully that's not the case. You know, we're not in a war zone in that one. But why do we talk as the church as in a war zone? Um, and how do we balance that what Anna said about we're nice and cozy and family, but we're also on mission together and we're, you know, pushing the kingdom. So what does that look like? And hopefully I'm going to unpack a little bit of that. But firstly, I'm just going to do a little recap of what we've seen so far in the kingdom of God. So Mark 1, 14 to 15. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the kingdom of God comes when Jesus comes and brings the kingdom of God on his mission. The kingdom of God is basically where the rule of Jesus is, where his people gather and where his will is carried out. We've uh, said beforehand that it's about God's uh, power, it's about his power, his people, who are us and others, and the place where he dwells. The kingdom of God is eternal, um, it's currently active throughout this church age, um, and we see it growing as the gospel is shared, as people are saved, as churches are planted, as Martin was saying uh, last week, all across the globe, um, and markers are put down. However, as Sam said a couple of weeks ago, we also realize that though the kingdom of God is here, it's not fully realized. Um, and so there is, there is a part in which the kingdom is not fully here yet. It's, uh, it is now and not yet. Um, we see the kingdom advancing and we see miracles and healing, but we also realize that it's, the kingdom is not fully here. And so we still see sin and we still see death and we still see painful things and we still struggle with things on a day-to-day -day basis and that's why we're in this battle situation. The kingship of Christ though, I want to make this clear because um, I think it is important, the kingship of Christ doesn't start with his incarnation. So when Jesus comes down to live, it's not that suddenly he becomes king. Christ has been ever ruling and reigning. God the Father, Son and Spirit are ever reigning. They are eternal. However, the kingdom of a people who are spiritually in Christ, so we who are in Christ, that begun in the time of the incarnation. And so the kingdom is not just a set of values. Uh, it's not a political movement. It's not just the church. In terms of the kingdom of God is, a bit, is bigger than that. And it's wider than that and has to be because I put, the, I put it into this little statement. The kingdom of God is the will, purpose, and reign of an almighty holy God to a fallen people. And because of that, it has to be wider than what we can understand. Because we are a fallen people. We were a fallen people. We're now redeemed in Christ. But we still live in a world that's fallen. And so for the will and purpose of an almighty holy God to be impacting in our lives, it has to be some things we don't understand and wider that we can understand. Um, and so when we talk about the kingdom of God... We're here telling you what the Bible says about the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God being established in our lives. But there is a lot that we don't know about. And I think that's good. I think that's great that we don't know everything. Because if we knew everything, well, I mean, you guys, I'd be sat there and you guys would be up here and it wouldn't really be worth it, would it? If everyone knew everything. Um, but God has got a lot to share and to unpack over millennia. You know, if you're in, in Christ today, you're going to be with Jesus with for eternity. And I believe that every day, new things are going to come out, new things about the kingdom, new things about the character of God that we're going to be captivated in for eternity. Um, and I think that's incredibly exciting. So that is the kingdom of God, as far as I can put it. Um, that it's not just a set of values, but it's the will and purpose of an almighty God, a holy God with his fallen people, bringing them and his rule and reign to bear. So, but this morning, I want to talk a bit more about spiritual warfare in the kingdom and in the church. And my first point I want to make, really, is that we are in a war. And that means that there are two opposing sides. 
There are two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we see this throughout scripture. If you go to Genesis 3, um, if you've got your Bibles, if not, um, I'll be reading bits, so don't worry, it's not going to come up on the screen. Um, But in Genesis 3, God says to Adam and Eve, after they've sinned and they've fallen, he says, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent he's talking to, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first sort of glimpse that we see of what Jesus will do. The offspring of the woman, the the second Adam, which will come forward and defeat Satan. But we can see in Genesis 3 that God promises that there will be enmity between these two sides. The offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And so by this he means The offspring of Satan, which is the fallen world and the people who live within that and who uh, relish in that and the demonic powers, um, which uh, which could also be the sinful heart of man, and those who come under the offspring of the woman, which is the true second Adam, Jesus. So we look at the kingdom of God in which the church is part of, the church is captivated up in, and we see the kingdom of darkness. We see these two opposing forces right at the start. And then in Revelation... Um, at its final close, um, I wanted to go um, Genesis and Revelation because I wanted to show you that actually it's throughout the whole of Scripture and because we sit before Revelation. We sit before that point. Obviously, Revelation was written a while ago. However, the prophetic things that Revelation speaks of are yet to be seen. And some commentators speak of Revelation as a tale of two cities, the city of God, the New Jerusalem, and the city of the world known as Babylon. And we see in Revelation this split, this opposing force. And we see um, the figure of Babylon is captivated in this image of a woman. And the woman um, is basically, she's called the prostitute, uh, she's called the harlot, she's called many different names, but basically um, she's known as Babylon. And Babylon um, is a city where the people have economically and spiritually prostituted themselves to the world and the devil. There's some debate um, originally what uh, John is speaking about, whether he's speaking about Rome or Jerusalem or lots of different things. However, the majority of uh, commentators will argue there's a prophetic overflow that uh, basically means that when the Bible is written, it's for the time, and I think that is incredibly important, but also there's, there's stuff that we can get out of it today. Um, and things that will go forward to the future. And one of the things that is this, this kingdom of darkness, this, um, this Babylon, which is the people who will side with the enemy and the people who will be against God in the final days. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a different It's a bit of a downer on a Sunday morning sometimes where we can think like this. However, I wanted to say that it's not a downer because the second one is the New Jerusalem. Um, the other hand is those who are committed to Christ, uh, opposed to Babylon and all that it speaks about. In Revelation 21.9, uh, it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Why am I telling you this? Because I said I'm talking about spiritual warfare in our lives, and then suddenly I seem to have talked about Genesis, and I've talked about Revelation, and some of you are probably thinking he's just talked about harlots and prostitutes, and he's talked about brides, and I'm not really too sure exactly where he's going with this one. Um, 
Why am I telling you this? I want to show you that there is a polar difference between the kingdom of God and what it opposes. That sometimes we can approach the world and we can say it just needs a bit of a, bit of a polish. Sometimes the world just needs a couple more Christians and it needs to be polished up a little bit and it will shine and it will be fine. But what I want to show you is that the Bible is clear that we are in a battle situation, that these two opposing forces have got battling ideologies and they can't fit together. During wars that we see, well, you get wars because two battling ideologies fight against each other. And I want to say that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are completely opposed to each other. The Bible is clear the world is completely at odds to the kingdom of God. But as we sung earlier, and I love that song, Thine Be the Glory, um, because Revelation is incredibly clear of what is going to happen. Thine be the glory, risen and conquering son. Christ has the, Christ has the victory. Oh, my goodness. Endless is the victory. There we go. See, it's good you're paying attention. Endless is the victory. Um, now, and death has won. Death has won. Jesus Christ defeats Satan. He defeats the devil. The kingdom of God beats the kingdom of darkness. And so when we look at spiritual warfare, before we even begin to talk about how we as day-to-day, on our day-to-day lives as Christians can battle against the enemy in our workplaces, in our families, in our personal walks with God, we need to be aware that there is a war that two opposing forces are against each other, but that they're not equal that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are not, it's not like you've got two heavyweights battling against each other and you're not too sure who's going to win. It's the equivalent of like Anthony Joshua versus me is really what it is. Because if we're honest, as, as much as I like to think I can throw a punch, um, yeah, it's just not going to go down well. Um, so the kingdom of God is the victor. We know that is to be true. We know through scripture that that's true. So when we approach spiritual warfare, we should always have that with the view that we have won the victory, that Christ has won the victory, and we are captivated up in that. So yeah, that's how I want to start. But what do we battle against? So we've said that there is an enemy, that there is um, something other that we battle against. What is it? Well, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, which is a lot of of words. But basically, we battle against an organized enemy. We see rulers, we see authorities. Um, This suggests that there's an organized enemy who wants to cause as much damage to the kingdom of God as possible. Now, we know that Jesus has won. We know that that victory is secure. But we also know that the enemy causes damage. The enemy is known to be a tempter, a deceiver. He has methods to cause Christians to stumble and to keep non-Christians blinded to the gospel. And that's basically what spiritual warfare is. If you are a Christian today, you are in a battle against an enemy that is wanting to limit you as a Christian and your usefulness to the gospel and is wanting to stop you from sharing the gospel with non-Christians. That's simply put. That's what the spiritual warfare is. It's an enemy wanting to limit your usefulness and stop you from sharing the gospel to other people. And so that means when we approach spiritual warfare, we can often come across as very personal and introspective. Um, 
and often I do it myself, that the enemy is affecting me, the enemy is attacking me. We're in this spiritual battle, and sometimes it seems like the best thing we can do is lock ourselves in the armor of God and then sit there and sing this little light of mine while holding our candle and hoping it doesn't blow out. Um, I think that, honestly, that is how, when I was, when I first became a Christian, that's honestly how I thought spiritual warfare worked, that I sat there and I held my candle and I basically stopped the enemy from blowing it out and I sung little songs to myself and honestly, that's what I thought spiritual warfare was. It was about basically protecting myself until one day Jesus came back and went, oh, it's fine now, you can come out. But that's not what spiritual warfare is. That's not what I read in scripture. That's not what I read um, throughout the Bible. I don't read about a people who are timid, who are sheltering. I see a, a kingdom that's on the move. I see a kingdom that's advancing. And so because of that, we need to see how we can do that and what weapons we've been given by Jesus to impact this battle. Because we've been given our orders. Matthew 28, Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been given our orders, and because of that, we have been equipped. If you're a Christian this morning, hear me on this. You have been equipped, every single one of you, to win battles for Jesus. Every single one of you. Amen. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> um, so what types... Of what types of weapons are important? Why are, why are weapons important? Well, firstly, weapons keep you alive in battle. If you don't have uh, a weapon, you're not probably going to last particularly long um, in a battle situation. You can do if you hide, but you're not going to be basically making great strengths forward, are you? Um, if you're going against someone with a teaspoon and they've got a gun, it's not really going to end up very well for you. Um, and then secondly, your weaponry shows how advanced your military might is. That seems an odd one, but I want to explain it a little bit further. Um, the Egyptians. The Egyptians had something um, that made them the terrors of the land bridge. When they were around that area, they were feared, they were um, completely feared by everyone around because they had chariots. Now, that doesn't seem much to us today because we've got tanks and we've got all these different things, but back in those days, chariots ruled the seas. Not the seas, obviously, because chariots don't go in seas. Um, but chariots were the massive military might of the time. When you read in um, the battles against the Philistines, the Philistines, um, Goliath has got iron armor. In the time of the Bronze Age, that is mental. Goliath is not just big, he's not just strong, he's got iron. The types of weapons that you have signify how strong your military might is. And I want to show you this morning that Jesus hasn't just given you um, a rusty blade. He hasn't just given you some outdated bits of, 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 of weaponry, but he has given you some key um, weapons to impact the enemy that are eternal, that are important, and that are going to basically do a lot of damage. So two types of weapons I could think of. There are two types of weapons. Firstly, short-distance weapons, which I'm going to call melee weapons. And there are, there are long ones, called long-distance ones, which are, you know, other things. So it's the difference between a cutlass and a gun. When, you're a cutl when you've got a cutlass, you know, if, I've, if me and Tom... Tom, stand, please. If me and Tom are this distance, 
the most useful thing is a cutlass, isn't it? If Tom's over there, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to, you know, I don't know whether I want to say I'm trying to kill Tyler on the on the recording, but if I am, um, a cutlass isn't going to be much useless used to me, is it? Sorry, Tom, you can sit down now. Um, in uh, if you're a Star Wars boff, the equivalent is um, if you've got a lightsaber and if you've got a blaster. Um, if you've got a lightsaber, it's great, you're close. If you've got a blaster, you can do long distance. Um, however. Um, I want to show that God has given us weapons that are both useful for close encounters when we feel I'm gone. I'm back again. Um, when we feel we're on the back foot and um, we feel the enemy is pushing in on us and we are pushing back against the enemy and it's close quarters. But we've also got weapons that have been given to us that are long distance that we're going to be chucking, you know, some... I don't want to say holy hand grenade because that brings up completely wrong <laughs> images. Um, but, you know, we're going to be chucking some, some stuff into the enemy's camp as well. That actually, there are some people who are going to be standing who you might know. They might be your neighbors, your friends. And they have got um, restrictions on them. They've got oppressions on them. And God is giving you the might to overcome those as well. That you're going to be pushing um, the enemy off other people as well. That's long distance work. And so I... Um, had to think to myself, what am I going to use to, oh, okay, we're, we've given it away a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> um, I had to think, what encapsulates both? What is both good in the short, sort of close range things, and what also is good long distance, and the only thing I could think of was this bad boy. <laughs> now, shameless plug here. About three months ago, I saw this on eBay, and I thought, I want that. <laughs> and um, my mum, did, did I show you this one when I bought it? And I think my mum went, why did you buy that? And I went, because it's going to be really useful in a spiritual way in a preach one day. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, basically, no, the reason why I'm doing this is not just because I wanted to laugh and I wanted to make it interactive. Um, I wanted to um, talk about some of the things that you um, see in top weaponry and how Jesus has basically given us similar things. So, Thor's hammer. When it's close quarters, one of the best things it's got is it's got a good bit of weight to it. If I'm going to swing this and I'm going to hit Tom, he ain't getting up again. Jesus has given you weight. He has given you authority. When you go into situations... You don't just go in and, you know, try and push them over. You have been given authority, and that's weight. That carries weight spiritually. Jesus, through your inheritance and your position in him, you have been given authority. And I want to tell you that this morning, that you have been given authority to go into situations and to push back in the spiritual realm because of what Jesus has done. You have got weight. When Thor throws it, throws Mjolnir, what happens? We're going to try that again. I'm going to re-improve my, my kids' work upon. When Thor throws his hammer, what happens? It comes, back. it comes back. What does the Bible say about his word? It never comes back empty. Nicely done, Tom. When you are using the word of God, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but when you're using the word of God and you are impacting situations and working in a spiritual warfare, it will never come back empty. 
you will put in seeds, you will make headway in for the gospel, you will make advance in the kingdom, and it will never come back empty. It will never not sow seeds. God is on the move. And so when you step out in faith and when you step out in those spiritual realms, the gospel will never come back empty. And then thirdly, as you can see in there, what else does Mjolnir do? It doesn't just hit. It doesn't just smash, although it does smash, definitely. Lightning. Lightning. Now, I've said, I've said wait, I've said thing. I'm sure you can guess where I'm going. We have been given power. We have been given power in the Holy Spirit to go into those places and to move spiritually. We go into places of uh, oppression and places of um, just where the enemy seems to have strongholds and we've been given power to overcome those areas. And we do that because of Christ. We do that because we are in Christ. So those are my three little things on Mjolnir. If you remember nothing else, then you can remember those ones. But I just want to go through three very simple weapons that we've been given that I think encapsulate this perfectly. Firstly, the most important weapon uh, is scripture. The most important weapon that we have been given is the sword of the spirit itself, the Bible. Now, for most people, the Bible is a confusing collection of uh, some historical stories, some rules, etc. But I want to tell you this morning that the Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is key to a Christian life. The, key, the Bible is key to overcoming and unlocking spiritual situations. If you're a Christian today, and hopefully, I hope you're aware of this, the Bible is incredibly practical. The Bible isn't ethereal. It's not, um, I don't know if any of you have read sort of other holy texts and stuff, so-called holy texts from sort of other religions and things, but I am yet to find a other so-called holy text that is as practical as the Bible. All others talk, you know, they can talk generally about spiritualness, they can talk about all the things that they, people could do or you know, things like that, but I don't think there is a single book in all of history that lives up to this. And what's our evidence for this? Well, the first evidence is that it's been proved. We've had 4,000 years uh, in which God has been revealing himself to his people. About 4,000, maybe more. Um, from first walking with Adam and Eve uh, to uh, calling Moses to bring together the first books of the Bible, all the way to the New Testament authors in the first century, all through those 2,000 years in between. The Bible has been tested and proved, and it is still used today as a practical means for how Christians should be living and how spiritual battles are overcome. Second, and I think this is more important, uh, is because it's the model that Jesus gives us. Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Now, on a Sunday morning, uh, when I'm not up here, sometimes I'm up in generators. And um, we say this one a lot. Um, we say, uh, you know, things like, so Jesus was tempted. And how did Jesus overcome temptation? Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of mumbling <laughs> this morning. Um, normally it's sort of, you know, 
Actually, normally it's, it's uh, a couple of the kids are like, poof, straight away. And they're just like, there we go. Bible. Jesus used the Bible. Matthew 4 is very clear that when Jesus is tempted, he uses scripture against Satan. Now, why does Jesus do this? Because Jesus is God incarnate. Surely, Jesus could have just spoken anything, couldn't he? And he could have overcome Satan. He didn't have to use the Bible. I think that Jesus doesn't just do this because it, he does it because for two reasons. Firstly, because it is the most efficient way to overcome Satan. And second, because he wants us to know this. That when we are going into situations where Satan is prevalent and it seems like there, there is oppression, Jesus says that the Bible is important for that, that it cuts through into those situations. And I think that's more, that's more truthful now than ever. Um, in a world which says that truth is subjective, when you can believe what you believe and I can believe what I believe and it doesn't really matter um, because we can both be true. I think the Bible stands on its own as reliable and as grounded. When I debate Christianity with people, I will always be using the Bible because my words will come and go. My words will waffle on longer than they need to. My words will sometimes not be enough. But Scripture is clear that the Bible is useful for preaching, teaching, rebuking, and all acts of righteousness. Preaching, teaching, and rebuking. All acts of righteousness. It never falls short. It always comes back. Always sows seeds. And so, if you're looking to do some damage to the enemy in your life, and in other people's lives that you care about, Bible is key. Bible is key. Secondly, a daily walk of the Holy Spirit. Daily walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's incredibly important that when we are looking to have impact in the spiritual realm, that we are living a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've, you've probably heard this before, um, but about holding word and spirit together. When we have word without spirit, we dry up. When we have spirit without word, we puff up. When we have both together, we grow up. Um, it's, a, it's become a bit of a cliche, but I love it because it's so true that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in every day. The New Testament is clear that it's a personal battle, but it's also an advancing battle that we're moving forward corporately together. That's why I haven't gone through each sort of individual piece of the armor of God, because I want to show you that it's not just about personal, although personal battle is, is part of it, but it's also a corporate thing that together as the, king, as the church, we're advancing the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, classic, classic bit of the Bible. I'm sure that a lot of us are aware of this, but Galatians 5 looks at living in the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Learned it from a song when I was a kid. Never forgot it. Word to the wise, teach your kids songs about, um, about things like that, because they won't forget it if it's stuck in their head. Living in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5 is clear, living in step with the Spirit is essential for living for God. 
If you are looking to step into, um, step forward in what God's got for you, living for the Spirit is essential. But it's also effective in mission and kingdom warfare. The book of Acts is clear about that. Uh, when Paul wants to move around in Acts 16, um, he goes somewhere and the Spirit closes the door. And he goes somewhere else and the Spirit closes the door. He goes somewhere else and the Spirit closes the door. And then he gets a vision of a man from Macedonia and the Spirit opens the door that way. Paul is living a life through the power of the Holy Spirit and he's living in step with the Spirit as well. The Spirit gives you pushes. When you're walking with God, when you're walking in his, his step, the Spirit gives you opportunities to advance the kingdom and the push to do it. Um, I have one example about this. I don't have many good examples of um, evangelism. Uh, most of them go flat on their face, um, which, you know, are also good stories sometimes. Um, and most of them involve the pub. This one doesn't. Um, I was once on a bus. I had to get a bus uh, to college and back basically every day when I was younger. And I once got on the bus. Uh, I was probably in sixth form at the time. And I got on the bus, um, and there was about a, it was probably about a 25-minute journey. And there was a woman sat at the front of the uh, bus reading a book. And I was sat at the back, and there was a couple of other people on the bus. And um, I, was reading, um, I was reading a gospel. I can't remember what gospel I was reading. But I felt God say to me, I want you to go and speak to that woman, because she needs encouragement, and she needs to know that God is with her in her circumstance. And the verse I had for her was when uh, Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock on which I build my church. And that actually Jesus is, um, God has given her to be a rock in her family. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and before I knew it, I was on my feet and walking down a rickety bus. And I didn't even know why I was doing it. The Spirit gave me the push and the drive to do it. And I'm not saying I get this right. I, I honestly, I, nine times out of ten it goes wrong. But that time... I sat down, and lo and behold, the book that the woman's reading is the Bible. And I'm like, oh, um, this is really weird, but I felt God had a, a, a word for you. I'm a Christian, and I guess that you are too, possibly, because you're reading the Bible. But I had this word for this. And basically, she started spilling her story, and um, her sister had been ill, and she'd been basically going back and forth every day um, to see her sister, who was ill. And her sister didn't know uh, God, and she kept, she said, I keep pushing the gospel to her, but she doesn't get it. And... I was just thinking today, oh, I think I'm going to give up. I think I'm just going to give up. And it was at that point that God used me to talk to this woman. And that's not to say, oh, didn't Owen do well? Because Owen was rubbish in that situation. And he stumbled over his words and he was useless. But, he, yeah, I, I just was faithful to what God had given. It may be small. It may be small what you think you've got. But in situations of spiritual warfare, Living in step with the Holy Spirit is key. And then finally, I just want to finish um, with the last one, and that's grace. Grace is the final weapon, and it seems like a strange thing to have as a weapon, because um, grace is nice and fluffy, isn't it? Um, but grace is what sets Christianity and the kingdom of God apart from everything else ever. About a few weeks ago, um, I don't think he's here this morning, but Johan said something really prevalent um, to me. And he said, in 2,000 years, if Christ has not yet come back, people will still be sat here speaking about him and all that he means to them, unpacking his word and debating, because there's something that draws people to him, like a moth to a flame. We are drawn to him. And I thought that was awesome. 
thought that was an immense little sort of nugget, and I wrote it down straight away. And I think the one thing, the main thing that draws us to, to God is grace. There is something about him that is different to everything else. The view that we get what we don't deserve. We don't get what we do deserve, sorry, which is judgment. And then we get what we don't deserve. That is completely countercultural, And it's key in personal battles. The grace that God has given us has been, we've been given everything. There is nothing more important to the Father than the Son and the Spirit. There is nothing more important to the Son than the Father and the Spirit. And the Father gave up the Son so that we could be in right relationship with God. The Father gave up everything for us. I'm, I think that should be enough to silence the voices that say, am I enough? Does God care about me? Because the grace of God is so powerful that it overcomes everything. So in our own spiritual day-to-day battles, we are captivated in this grace that God has given to us. We sang it earlier, in royal robes I don't deserve. That we've been placed in royal robes that we have no, um, we have no way of gaining, we have no way of, of taking them, but we are given these royal robes that we don't deserve by the grace of God. And grace is rare in this world. We live in a world that says, um, if no one's going to, uh, I think the phrase is, it's, it pops up on Facebook all the time, doesn't it? You know, if, uh, if they're not going to cross a puddle for you, why would you cross an ocean for them? Those sorts of things. You might, you might have seen them. And um, when we were at our youth team retreat a little while ago, um, so Rach Martin, who did the, the, um, the training with us there, she had this massive rant about that. Um, and I just thought it was great. It was awesome. Um, the rant, I mean, not the, not the comment. Because actually, what is the gospel? The gospel is that we don't deserve anything. We deserve damnation, but God gives us everything. If you don't know the gospel this morning, that's what the gospel is. That because of our sin, because we fell out of relationship with God, because we did wrong, we deserve Judgment, we deserve damnation, but God gave us everything through his son. And so we too should be looking to do the same as Christ did. That we should be looking to give grace, we should be looking to forgive others, we should be looking to live a godly life. That's the difference between the two women that we saw earlier. That's the difference between uh, the harlot of Babylon and the bride of Christ. Babylon has gained all that she can, she's economically grown due to her wayward life, but she is chained by the beast, by Satan. The bride of Christ has said, everything that I am and how messed up I am, I give it to you, God, and God says, I'm giving you everything in return. It's radical, it's countercultural, and you know what? It's very attractive. Because it drew me in. <laughs> I'm guessing it drew you in too. Uh, that advances the kingdom. Spiritual warfare is wrapped up in the victory we have over the power of sin through the grace of Jesus Christ. So I want to finish there, and I want to basically just say two um, things in terms of application for two people, two groups of people here this morning. Um, if you don't know Jesus this morning and you've heard a bit more and you've thought, what's that guy ranting about in terms of battles and weird things, but I'm hoping what you've grasped this morning is that um, Jesus has given everything up to you. Jesus has taken the punishment for your sin 
is died to it and you can be with him forever. That is what the gospel is. And if that is you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to um, come to Sai or Dunk or Chris or me or anyone. Um, I said that because they're the three elders and because I'm here. Um, so, or anyone, if you come with someone, talk to them about Jesus this morning. Um, they would love to share the gospel with you more. We would love to share the gospel with you more if you want to know more. Um, and then if you were a Christian this morning, uh, we need to live a joyful, fierce life full of grace, power, and wisdom from the word of God. And so what I want to do is I want to give you just five minutes um, in which you to turn to the person with you, around you. So it might be your spouse, it might be your friend that you came with. Um, if you're a Christian this morning... I would love just for us to pray together um, as the family of God that actually it's not about me at the front because I'm standing here leaning on a lectern that I can do anything for you. Um, but God is amongst his people. And so what I really want to do is just to spend five minutes, if you're a Christian this morning, just turn to the person with you, spend time together, fellowship together, praying for each other, saying, God, how can I be pushing more um, in spiritual warfare? How can I um, be pushing the gospel more? How can I be delving into his word? How can I be living a life filled with the spirit? How can I be living a life full of grace?